Hi, everyone. During the season of Lent this year, we're studying the story of King David. Now, we've been in 1 Samuel so far. Today, we're going to move to 2 Samuel. Uh, 1 Samuel told the story of that brave young shepherd boy that God chose to be king. Even though David's own father saw him as just kind of the little runt of the family. But see, God looked at David's heart, and God saw the king that God would choose. We spent time looking at the story of David and Goliath, and we watched King Saul's jealousy grow and his paranoia take over as he saw how everyone loved David. Now today we're moving to 2 Samuel, and 1 Samuel ended with the death of King Saul. 2 Samuel begins with, with David as king. Being king changed David. Power changed David. And it would have been so easy for the Israelites to just kind of whitewash David's story. Today's reading is a perfect example. They could have written this story to make David into a hero. Maybe not rewrite the entire story, but if they would have emphasized some things uh, so that David would have been remembered in a different light, they could have had him look as the hero. But they didn't do that. Today we're looking at the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, if you've ever watched a movie or read a novel about David, so often in this story, they'll kind of hint or even just come out and say that Bathsheba was a seductress. David was just a normal red-blooded male, and he couldn't say no to her. Like, that would make it okay for the leader of God's chosen people. He's a guy, he can't say no. In the 1985 film, King David, Bathsheba told David that her husband Uriah was abusive toward her. So it painted David as this noble, noble man when he killed her husband. Other movies and books have romanticized their love for one another and made it sound like David and Bathsheba were the original Romeo and Juliet. They had a love for one another and they fought against all odds. I need to admit, I preached on this story so many times over the years. And when I outlined this series, I, frankly, I didn't think twice about this Sunday. I thought we'd just talk about affairs this week. My study Bible titles this section, David Commits Adultery with Bathsheba. That's a perfect example why, why we need to remember that things like titles and edits, they're not scripture. Because David commits adultery with Bathsheba makes it sound like she was a willing participant. It makes it sound like they were equal, that they were both culpable. I'll tell you, no scholar worth their salt would ever say a woman in King David's time was the king's peer. Maybe it's the Me Too movement. All the politicians, the Moody producers, and just, you know, men who think their bank accounts mean they can do whatever they want to whomever they want. Uh, I, I need to repent here. This past week, I really realized I've been misreading this story for years. This story isn't about lust. This is about an abuse of power. You know, we've all heard the saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I mean, that's the story of David, and this is its apex. Before David was king, he always attributed his success to God's love for Israel. 
But once David took the throne, he started to see people as tools. And he could use them to get whatever he desired. You know, it's not really a biblical concept, but traditionally, the Christian tradition has the seven deadly sins. Lust is at the bottom. Pride is at the top. And this story, this story is about a man who thinks and acts as if he's not accountable to anyone. I mean, the more I think about this story, the more I really believe in my core, the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. I mean, otherwise, there would have been so many ways that humans would have rewritten this story so David would be remembered as the hero. But I'll tell you, the truth is, David's the villain in this story. Bathsheba is the victim. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, um, Jennifer Walton, and she's going to read us from a passage in 2 Samuel 11. And one of the things that um, we didn't see coming uh, going online uh, is that a lot of people outside of the greater Tri-Cities would start being a part of our regular online worship. And uh, quite a few are people that I've known, some churches I've served, um, friends that I've had, and same with several of our other staff. I know a lot of uh, Pastor Trevor's friends and people who have been in his churches in the past have, have watched. And as a matter of fact, my youth leader, um, when I was in youth group, uh, she's been watching from Ecuador and then she'll send it, Janet will send it to people all over the, the states. And Jennifer is kind of representative of a group of people who've been part of our church and she's in Vancouver. And I'm just so proud and thankful uh, to be able to have Jennifer um, share this passage, see someone that I've known for years. Jennifer? Hi, my name is Jen Walton, coming to you from Vancouver, Washington. I've known Brian and his family for a really long time. In fact, Etzel prayed for me when I was about 17 doing a speech, so we go way back. Today's scripture is from 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then she went back home. This is the word of the Lord. Did you hear the first line? There is so much behind every word in that first line. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem all of the men left Jerusalem to fight battles. And the king should have led them. 
but he stayed home. And he let everyone else go while he just kind of wandered around the palace. David started out as the shepherd king who loved and protected and took care of the flock. But now, David had others go out to fight, and he just stayed in Jerusalem. The only other men in the city would have been the young boys and the very old men. But all of the women stayed behind. David's wives, plural, and everyone else. Now, we know David's palace was at the highest point in the city, so he could look down on his subjects. I don't have to point out, that's not a shepherd. And he looked down one day and he saw this beautiful woman bathe. And then he sent someone to see who it was. Now, at this point, to be fair, she's fair game for him. I'm not saying it's right, but in that world, David's king. He could do what he wanted, and he could have multiple wives. So they came back and they reported, well, that's Bathsheba. That is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, it's implicit here, but we need to add, uh, that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite who's off fighting for you, king. That's his wife. And it should have stopped right there. But it didn't. The Bible says David sent messengers to go get her, and he lay with her. So David saw her. David inquired about her. David received an answer about who she was. And then David sent for her and then David laid with her. The king, the most powerful man in the nation, is the active agent here. And she's just completely passive. That was her role. She didn't have any other option. He was the king. He had the power. There's no attempt at all to defend David in this text. I mean, nothing about her. She doesn't even say a word. He's the king she is his subject. He saw, he sent, he lay with her. That's our detail. Except a couple weeks later, she sends word to him, I'm pregnant. In the first half of 2 Samuel, David is so successful publicly. But then we get to his home life, and frankly, it's a disaster. Now, we see his private life starts to affect his ability to lead and rule. And then it spins out of control, and the entire nation suffers. Here's the deal. David thought he had the power to control everything. And then he thought he could fix the things that he realized he'd caused. But he couldn't control Bathsheba's pregnancy and that's not all. Next we see he couldn't control her husband Uriah's principles. And ultimately we'll see David can't control God's moral judgment. She's pregnant. David has a plan. He's going to fix it. He sends word to the front. Send me Uriah to the Hittite. Uriah comes home. David asks him for a report. How's the battle? And after the report, David tells Uriah to go just have the night off 
He says, go see your wife. The Hebrew says, go to your house and wash your feet. It's a euphemism for sex. Go home, sleep with your wife, you've earned this. He wants Uriah to have sex with Bathsheba, so Uriah will think the baby is his. He's covering it up. But Uriah says he can't do that while his brothers are away in battle. So Uriah posts himself as guard in front of David's door that night. He's going to be David's personal guard. David didn't see that coming. But he comes up with a plan B. He thinks, okay, I'm going to get Uriah drunk. And then I'll send him home. And Uriah will think he got Bathsheba pregnant. Same thing happens. Uriah is not going to have pleasure while his brothers in arms are at battle. So the next morning, King David writes a letter to his officer on the front lines, Joab. It says, send Uriah to the front of the battle, have everyone pull back, leave him there. Can you imagine? You're Joab, commanding officer, Uriah comes back from leave, and he hands Joab a sealed letter from the king. And Joab opens it while Uriah is standing right there and reads what David has said. Obviously, Joab knew Uriah. I mean, they fought together, and we've seen his level of integrity. Can you imagine his thoughts as he read this letter from the king? But... He does what the king orders, fixes the problem. Uriah dies. But it didn't fix the problem at all. And back in the, the city of peace, Yerushalom, Bathsheba heard her husband was killed at battle. And she goes into a time of mourning for her dead husband. Listen to 1127, 2 Samuel. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Again, there's no conversation between David and Bathsheba. He didn't ask. He sent for her. She became his wife, just one of his entourage. And in the eyes of everyone else, David is the hero. He's taken in this poor widow whose husband died on the front lines. But he's not the hero for long. Because these things have a way of coming back, and it's not fixed at all, not by a long shot. David thought because he was king, he had the power to control and to fix things. But he couldn't control her pregnancy, and he couldn't control Uriah's principles. And he couldn't control God's moral judgment. Because there's real consequences for our actions. David's sin brings serious pain to the nation and to his family. You keep reading through 2 Samuel. I mean, David's kids are a mess. I mean, one of his sons rapes his daughter, and David doesn't do anything about it. And then his son rebels against him and, and tears the nation apart. And David tries to fix his problems by burying them. 
as you read this story, I mean, his lies, they just pile and pile and pile. And he digs a hole deeper and deeper and he weaves this web of deceit. But as bad as David was, God gave him a gift. 2 Samuel 12, we read, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan, the name Nathan, it literally means gift. So God sent David a gift. And this is really important. Nathan comes and he tells David this story. He said, in a certain city, there, there were two men. One was rich, the other was poor. And the rich man, he had many flocks and herds of sheep, but the poor man had nothing but just one little lamb. And he loved that lamb. It was all he had, but that was okay because he had his treasure. And then the rich man took the poor man's lamb and he killed it. And he served it at a party and, and the poor man was left with nothing. David heard Nathan's story and he got very angry. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then God's gift to David, Nathan, says to David, you are the man. Says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. You've killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. You have despised me. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David heard this and said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, now the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because of this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child that is born to you shall die. And Nathan went to his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became very ill. David is still remembered as Israel's greatest king. And Jerusalem is still remembered as the city of David. David is still remembered as a man after God's own heart. Not in spite of the things he did, but because he embraced this gift God sent him. When David was confronted with what he had done, he fell on his knees. And in anguish and, and, and in guilt and in grief. And he asked for forgiveness. He remembered God at that moment and he was sorry for what he had done. 
Now, we're going to come back to this next week, but we're going to have to skip a lot of this story, and I really hope you read it on your own. There's so much here, but I want us to get David's story. It's our story. Or at least it can be. I mean, not the bad parts, and there's plenty of horrible in this story. And we don't need a model for that. We come up with our own junk on our own. But what I'm saying is, it's how David responded to God's gift. That's what made him great. And this is why he's remembered. In, not in spite of the story, but because of how he followed God through this story. I mean, David still had to face real consequences for his actions. But even more important, his family and the nation that he led Everyone paid for his actions. But ultimately, this story is about the gift of God's amazing grace. David had been the hero, but here David is the villain. And Bathsheba, I mean, she was the victim of a powerful man, a king who not only saw her as a subject for his own desire, but ultimately she lost her husband she lost her baby. We'll find David's kids are a mess. But Nathan, he's the hero of this story. This gift who conveyed the real gift to God, to David, and that's calling out David. Providing a mirror for David to see into his own heart to see his own actions. And so David repented. There's so much here for us, I, I, but I want you to think about who is your Nathan, who is your gift, and who can you be a gift to? Who's your Nathan? Who can you be a Nathan for? And do you need a Nathan right now? Next week, we're going to come back and we're going to get more of the story. But, you know, the forgiveness and the restoration that happened when David repented. But I want us to think about Nathan's action. Helping his friend. And David's response. You know, David wrote Psalm 51 because of this story. And I want you to listen to just the first half. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, my sins ever before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart and purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Put a new and right spirit within me. 
Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me a willing spirit. Power and prestige and wealth had convinced David he wasn't accountable to anyone. But God sent a gift. He sent Nathan to, to call David out, to offer him the gift of accountability. And David received this gift, and, and, and it humbled him. And it set him back in favor with God, because he really repented. I mean, this hit him hard. And he was forgiven. And he was restored. How do you hear this story today? Who is your Nathan? Who can you be a Nathan for? You know, traditionally, Lent is a time that we prepare ourselves for the resurrection. I just wonder in your life, are there areas that, that God is trying, trying to send a gift to you so that you can offer those things to God? You can get on your knees and ask for forgiveness. Those burdens that just become so heavy and we're not going to be able to carry them ourselves, let alone push them away. But our God is so filled with amazing grace that regardless what we've done, He can cleanse us. We can be white as snow. Who's your Nathan? And who can you be a gift for? Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this man. He's the best and the worst of all of us. King David. That even in the midst of his sin, that you were able to give him this gift so that he could respond to you on bended knee and ask forgiveness. We thank you for the gift of restoration. We thank you for the gift of resurrection, new life. As we pursue the day your son rises victorious, restore in us clean hearts, O God. In your son's name we pray. Amen.